I invite you to open your Bibles to James 4. The title is written in Latin because in the sermon I explained it, but I took that part out, so it simply means God will, God, God's will or the Lord be willing in Latin there, Dio Valente. And so we'll be discussing that this morning, verses 13 to 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Our Father, we ask now that you would indeed teach us here about your will. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the use of the tongue has been a topic that has been emphasized by James so far, as you know. He's had a lot to say about how our heart attitude reveals itself in our actions and how the use of our tongue is actually a good indicator of our heart attitude, of the condition of our heart. So Jesus said, James' half-brother, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so James began, James began dealing with the tongue as early as chapter 1. He did it in verse 26. He said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's where he began, chapter 1, verse 26. But then chapter 3 is where he kind of fully developed this theme of taming the tongue. He says, the tongue sets on fire the course of our life and in fact is set on fire by hell. Verse 6, he tells us how inconsistent it is to praise God with our tongue on the one hand and curse our neighbor on the other. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 10. Last week, we looked at verse 11 and 12 of James here, and he addressed the tongue again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. He says, slander is a, a, a hideous sin. It's a terrible sin, a sin that is easily committed. Uh, It's a sin that originates originally with Satan himself, and so James exhorted us, remember, stop, stop, stop your slander. Now we come to the last verses of chapter 4, and James once again addresses the tongue. Look at verse 13, come now you who say, the NIV says, now listen you who say. Basically, stop speaking and listen up. And so immediately, James is back on the attack. He's already said, stop slanderous speech. And now he wants us to stop presumptuous speech. Listen up, he's saying. Focus here. You who say or listen up, the ones who are saying today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. He's talking about people who are presumptuous, Uh, people who uh, habitually live without any regard for God's will. 
And what he's going to do to make his point, he's going to use an illustration that, that was very familiar for the people of the time, for his readers. Well, one commentator says, the Jewish people were the great merchants of the ancient world. And they would plan and, and they would plot out where to travel to make the next best business transaction. And so James borrows from that world and he paints a picture of this traveling merchant. You can imagine he's looking at a map. That's what's happening. And he spreads the map out before him and, and, and he points to it and he says, here's a new city where I can make some money. There will be great opportunities there. So I'll go there and, and then I'll pick when I'm going to go and, and I'll do it when I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll decide what I'm going to do when I'm there. I'll, I'll choose how long I'm going to stay. I'll make my fortune and then I'll come back. And so here he is looking at this map, planning it all out. And it's really a, a scenario that's not much different than what we learned last week. If you remember, we, we turned to Isaiah 14, or we read, that is, Isaiah 14 about Satan and how he supplanted the authority of God. He usurped God's dominion and he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my tongue above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Well, it's the same thing we have here with this businessman. He has five I wills as well. I will choose the time, today or tomorrow. I will choose the place, such and such a town. I will choose the duration, a year. I will choose the occupation, trade. I will choose the goal, make a profit. See, both sins, slander and presumption, are manifest through our speech. And both sins, slander and presumption, manifest an arrogance that puts the creature on par with the, with the creator. Uh, to take up the, the position of a slanderer and judge, says one writer, is to knock God off his throne. And then he says, and the sin of presuming has the same result. That time is at your disposal, the presumption that you're infinite, that you're eternal, that the future is in your own hands, the presumption that you're all-knowing, uh, that all you have to do is choose and behold, it'll happen, the presumption that you are sovereign. And that you have within yourself the ability to succeed if you want the presumption that you're all-powerful. This is worldliness at its worst. Slander and presumption. You're claiming to be God. You're saying, I'm infinite, I'm eternal, I'm omniscient, I'm sovereign, and I'm omnipotent. And all it takes to be guilty of that sin, all it takes is to just forget God and your plans. Now understand James isn't saying don't plan anything. But he's saying stop leaving God out of those plans. Uh, the, uh, plan properly, but not proudly. Stop living with this attitude of independence. Uh, this independent spirit that allows God to be on the throne on Sundays that you're here uh, only to be replaced with yourself uh, Monday through Saturday. You're praising God on Sunday, but you're playing God the rest of the week. That's the concern. Now, there are areas that we still keep God involved with. That's true, even when we're failing. We, we want his protection when we're trying to do our will. And uh, we, we want to be sure that in the end we'll get to heaven when we die. But we don't want him to really interrupt our plans here 
on earth. We don't want them to interrupt what we have to say our will should be. We'll handle it on our own. His job is just to make sure it happens. And that's what James is calling out. Making plans as if you had everything you need in and of yourself to see the plan through. That you can do it. In a word, this is the height of arrogant foolishness. One writer says, James gives us five important truths that presumptuous planning causes us to forget. And that's what I, I thought I'd take those, and that's what we'll look at. First, it, it causes us to forget our, our ignorance. Second, it, we forget our brevity. Third, we forget our dependence. Fourth, we forget our humility. And fifth, we forget our duty, ignorance, brevity, dependence, humility, and duty. And we're going to look at all five. So first, presumptuous planning uh, forgets our ignorance. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, you're not omniscient. Uh, Far from being able to see into the distant future, you don't even know what is going to happen. You actually don't know what it's going to happen a minute from now let alone an hour, a day, a month, week, or year. That's why Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring. See, life is far from simple. John MacArthur says, life is a complex matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which you have little or no control. Most of the times when I've done pastoral counseling over the years, I find that the issue that the person's having is they're trying to manipulate and control something, be it the, the attention of someone else, the, the, the mindset of someone else, or something that they have no control over. You would live in a constant state of anxiety and frustration if you thought you have to have it this way, but you have no way of controlling that. See, some people foolishly imagine that they are in charge of their whole lives, and yet we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. And presumption forgets that. And that leads to the next truth. Presumption forgets our brevity. What is your life, James says in verse 14, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life is frail. It's, it's delicate. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, says Psalm 39.5. And so to live as if time is on your side is to play the fool. In, in Psalm 90, Moses laments the brevity of life. He says, he compares, what he does is compares the life of grass um, in the morning and how it's faded by the hot sun in the evening. And, and he says, here it is, it's there, it's full, and then it's gone. And then he says this, the length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. You know, 70, 80, some live longer. I, was, I met with someone the other day from our church, 106, alert, had a long conversation, and yet compare it to eternity. It's just a drop in a pan. And Jesus illustrates this with a parable. 
Uh, in Luke 12, uh, the ground of a certain rich man produced a crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Do you see the, you see the pattern there? I'll do. I, I will. I, I will. I'll say. I'll do it for many years. Uh, but the day he lost his life, that very day he lost his life, uh, the most healthy among us may not even see tomorrow. Life is short and death is guaranteed. And so you are finite and your days are numbered presuming is a failure to remember your brevity. Third, if forget your dependence, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. God is sovereign and we are not. This seems so obvious, but it must be said. These businessmen in James' day were assuming they were in control of their future, that everything would go according to their plans. But Scripture's clear. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 19, 21. How foolish we are to ignore our unchanging God to ignore the sovereign God in whom we live and breathe and have our being, Paul says in Acts 17. This is what some may call practical atheism. Some have called it that. Believing in God, but leaving him out of our daily life. Leaving him out of our plans. Think of all the things we're to plan in life. Think of them all. Uh, plan what school we're going to go to, what college to attend, degrees we're going to choose, careers we're going to choose. We plan who we're going to marry and where to live, plan which house to buy and how many kids to have if, if the Lord blesses that. All these things should be planned. They should be planned. By the way, I'll probably repeat this, but th- this sermon in James' point isn't just go out there and stand still and wait for God to tell you what His will is and then go do it. You, you have to plan but, but to plan them apart from God, to plan them thinking they will happen just because you decided is simply foolishness. Instead, James says, look, you've got to acknowledge who is really in control. You need to acknowledge you're dependent. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. Now, James isn't just saying that we need to just say the words Lord willing at the end of everything or or, or God willing at the end of our plans, and that that kind of fixes it all. And and, and so he is saying it, it must flow from our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what he's saying is, look, it needs to be a mindset of yours. Every decision you're making is that you're, you're taking the Lord into consideration. That is true. But I do think it can be helpful to say. Now, I am not suggesting somebody comes, hey, you want to get coffee? Well, if the Lord wills. 
You know, hey, I, you know, I, could, I could use your help. Can you help me? Well, if the Lord wills it. You know, as if the point isn't that, although there's nothing wrong with saying it. Paul says it. Jesus says, thy will be done. You may have to say it. Maybe you're saying it under your breath. Maybe you're saying it out loud. There are times to say it out loud. The point is that you need to say it. Thomas Mann, one of the great Puritans, says there are two reasons why you should speak it. First, because such explicit expression of God's providence is good for us. It's a good reminder. It helps us not to forget. And second, we find examples in Scripture. I just mentioned some. Not my will, but yours be done. Paul in Acts 18 promised to return to Aquila and Priscilla. And then he says, I will come back if it is God's will. And there are other examples in 1 Corinthians and Philippians and Hebrews, all of these places. You see them if the Lord wills. We cannot predict the future, we, but God knows the future. And if we acknowledge him, what does Proverbs say? If we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will guide our path, Proverbs 3, 6. And so when you say, if the Lord wills, you're affirming he's the one who's sovereign over all all of my life, everything. Never forget, he controls your life and death and everything in between. Uh, Job said, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And Job, look what the Lord's will was for him. But he acknowledged his dependence and his sovereignty, God's sovereignty. And so saying if the Lord will shows that you are humbly dependent upon your sovereign God rather than being worldly, self-centered, self-focused, and lacking humility. And that leads to the fourth point. Presumptuous planning forgets about humility. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The words as it is are literally but now. As it stands for the moment, He's saying, you are boastful and you are arrogant. Now, the boast can be, mean you're loudmouthed or speak loudly, either in a legitimate rejoicing or, uh, or touting one's own accomplishments. Now, obviously, that's what he has in mind there, that latter one, uh, uh, touting our own accomplishments. And the word arrogance comes from the root word meaning to wander about. And, it, and it, it reflects empty pretense. It was used to describe uh, people like charlatans who would travel around selling phony goods. And so you take this all together, the two-word picture, someone who is bragging pretentiously about something they don't have and can't obtain. It's just, they're just bragging about it. And see, such boasting is unfitting for the Christian. Such arrogance is inconsistent with what we know about ourselves. We are ignorant and and don't know the future. We are finite. Our days are numbered, and we are completely dependent upon God, and so we ought to be humble. And so presumption is a direct challenge to the life of humility that James has called us to in verses 6 to 10. You know, presumption is a direct assault on the going low and bowing before God. The sin of presuming involves taking into your own hands the reins of planning and commanding. Here, let me put it bluntly. It involves seeing life as if you deserve another day to live and you're not at the mercy of God. 
Now, I came across a, a comical story that illustrates this foolishness. It's something you'd probably see in a cartoon. There's this woodpecker, flies over the woodpecker, he flies over to the tree, and he started pecking away. And all of a sudden, while he's pecking away, a storm comes in, lightning strikes, he gets thrown back off the tree, and the tree splits in half, and he's dazed for a moment, and he picks himself up, and he saw the split tree, and he flies away. Moments later, though, he comes back with several of his friends, and he points to the split tree, and he says, there it is, boys, I did it all myself. See, a person who thinks he's the master of his own soul, a person who thinks he's the captain of his own destiny, is just as foolish and arrogant and absurd as the woodpecker. That's the point. Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you have comes from the gracious hand of God. Everything. To ignore him is treason, and nothing more than sinful, boasting arrogance. And so, fifth, planning, presumptuous planning forgets our duty. Look at verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Those who know God's will are responsible to obey it. And if they fail to do that, they sin. Leaving God out of your plans is real sin. It's what we call a sin of omission. You know the difference is there's the sins of commission and sins of omission. You understand commission? It's, It's the sins we commit, like slander. And then there's sins of omission. These are the things we fail to do that we were supposed to do. Like when we failed to put God into our plans. It's a sin of omission. Jesus says, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. It's a picture of being disciplined by God. You remember Jonah. He understood this. He knew God's will. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to do it. He refused to do it. And then God disciplines him until he finally submits to his will. That's the idea. See, disobeying God's will, the point is that it brings consequences. And we know God's will. We've we've been hearing God's will. We we know that we're ignorant. We know that we have the brevity of life. We know we're dependent. We, We know we shouldn't boast or be arrogant. And we know our duty... James has talked a lot about our duty, what we're supposed to do, about the right thing to do. He said you're to have joy, remember, in trials and be content in your circumstances. He says you're to pray and confess your sin. You're to live peaceably and righteously. You're not to show partiality to people because of their outward appearance. You're to keep your mouths under control and seek God's wisdom. You're to submit to God and resist the devil. You're to draw near to God. You're to purify your lives. You're to repent of your sin. And you are, as James told us over and over again, directly and indirectly, you You are to humble yourself before the Lord, and He, not you, He will lift you up. That's the context of this verse. Humility is the context. Humility, humility. 
Again, as I said, James isn't telling you not to plan. But he wants us to plan with humility. And there are humble ways to plan. Let me give you four that I came across in my study. I'll close with this. Just four humble ways to plan. First, submit your plans to God. James tells us and said you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Lord willing, that is the key. And as I said, it's not just the words you say, but the mindset that's important. Submit your plans to God. Plan it out. Think of things. I I would love to do this. Lord willing. Or Lord, if you would have me do this, let me know. That type of thing. Second, confess your need for his favor if you're going to succeed. What does Scripture say? Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Psalm 127.1. Third, confess that whatever you achieve is through the gifts and favor of God. Anything you have succeeded in. Has your marriage succeeded? Give praise and thanks to God. Has your business thrived? Well, give praise and thanks to God. Think of other areas of your life. If if you've succeeded, well, you didn't succeed on your own. Give thanks to God. Remember, fourth and finally, plan with eternity in mind. You submit your plans to God. You confess your need for God. And you confess that whatever you do achieve comes from God. But when you make those plans, plan with eternity in mind. Remember this. Your life is but a breath. Here today and gone tomorrow. And with that fact in mind, your life is but a breath. Here today, maybe gone today. I don't know. Maybe I'm gone today or gone tomorrow. Let me say this. If you're here or you're watching, if you're here this morning you, and, and, and you've, you've never trusted Jesus fully, humbled yourself before him, you, you've never uh, repented and fled to him for grace, that's where you begin. That, that's where you begin. Planning for a successful and joyous eternity by trusting in Jesus. Humbly coming to him for grace. Humbling yourself, knowing that your sin only merits his wrath. Knowing that left to yourself, what would happen is you would die in your trespasses and sins. You may say, I I will to go to heaven, but unless you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you will. It's what God wills. And he wills all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. And so, if you left to yourself, all you have are your sins of commission and your sins of omission. And so don't forget, don't forget the brevity of your life. See, doesn't it just make sense? I mean, I want you to think about this, and it's true of everybody. You could be an atheist, I doubt if you're here, if that's true, but you get my point. An atheist, we recognize that life's but a vapor. Where they don't recognize is that God is sovereign. But Scripture teaches that. And it also teaches that pride separates you from Him. And so doesn't it just make sense to plan with even more diligence for eternity than it does for the temporary? I mean, even Anna, who I visited, who's 106, it's only 106 when you compare it to eternity 
It's nothing. It's a blip. And so doesn't it make sense to spend more time preparing for that? And so don't forget, this is true for all of us, believer and unbeliever. Don't forget Christ. See, don't forget Christ who who actually lived the perfect life for you, who never sinned either by commission or omission. Don't forget Christ who never boasted or, or was arrogant. Don't forget Christ who never failed to do God's will and always depended upon his heavenly Father. Even as he sat in the garden waiting to be crucified, he cries out, my God, uh, wh- why do I have to do this? Do I have to? But your will be done, not mine. He submits to God's will. Don't forget Christ who humbled himself and took on human flesh so he could be your substitute, living in your place actively and and passively, fulfilling the law on our behalf. All the law we break, he fulfilled it on our behalf, that we are now declared righteous in his sight. Don't forget Christ, that he died on the cross so that your sins may be forgiven. And don't forget Christ who bore, who, who rose from the grave, that is, for your justification. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before him. And he, not you, he will lift you up. And so don't leave here this morning without submitting yourself to God and determining to live your life here on earth in light of the eternity that you will spend with Christ. Don't forget Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we do forget Christ. We we are reminded here every Sunday of God and Jesus and the truth of heaven and hell and forgiveness and the gospel, all these truths, how we use our tongue And then throughout the week, we live as if this world is all there is. And and, and we forget that our days are numbered and that you may take them. And then we're surprised when something happens and our will is not done. And so we pray, Lord, that we would not forget Jesus, that we would not forget you, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that we would submit ourselves and all our plans to your will, in Christ's name, amen.